Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Welcome to Providence. My name is Jacob. I'm one of the pastors here. And as uh, Mark just said, uh, reading from Mark, a little confusing, Mark, and Mark, maybe just for me. Uh, we are going to be looking for the next uh, seven weeks or so through the book of Mark. We have a reading guide for you that I'll tell you about in a little bit to look at it. But to start that, I want to talk to you this morning about a number in the Bible. So numbers in the Bible are used like we use numbers to date things, to mark things. But you can also see sometimes in the Bible there's a number that also has a, a deeper meaning to it. Or it seems that God's trying to show us something through the way the number is used. Like the number seven is one of those numbers in the Bible that we see all the way through in the book of Genesis in the very beginning. We have that the, the world is created in seven days. And then there's other mentions of seven all throughout the Bible. There's seven Uh, holy days for the Hebrew people. And then we end up in Revelation and there's a mention of seven churches and seven angels and seven seals and seven trumpets being blown. So the number seven uh, doesn't just mean seven. It also gives us this picture of completeness. So when you see the number seven, there's something else there. Another uh, number in the Bible is 12. You'll see it uh, all the way through. Jacob had 12 sons. Those 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel that we see all throughout. Jesus had 12 disciples, so the number 12 also kind of has something to it about the authority of God or even the completeness of God uh, that you can pay attention to. Uh, If you're still with me, the number that I want to tell you about this morning is the number 40, uh, specifically 40 days. The number 40 is found 146 times in the Bible, which isn't all that important, the frequency, but just to say it's used a lot. And so uh, some of you who, who've read the Bible and studied the Bible, you'll, you'll recognize some of these already. It's like, how long was Noah in the ark? 40 days and 40 nights. Uh, we know uh, about Moses, that Moses uh, lived in Egypt for 40 years, and then he was in the wilderness for 40 years, and then he uh, took the uh, uh, escaped Hebrew slaves for 40 years in the desert. Moses has a lot of 40. He goes up on the top of Mount Sinai to hear from God. He's up there for 40 days. Uh, another one, he sends the, the spies to spy out the promised land. They're there for 40 days. You guys want to hear more? Jonah spoke to Nineveh for 40 days. Ezekiel lay on his side for, uh, for 40 days. Elijah went without food or water for 40 days. So clearly, or at least it seems, that God's trying to show us something in this number 40. Those are all Old Testament examples, and the Old Testament is written in the Hebrew language. And I had the the pleasure of studying under a great Hebrew scholar. Her name is Rebecca Wright. And we asked her one day in class, as we were going through the Old Testament, we said, what's all this 40 stuff about? We kept seeing 40 over and over, and her eyes lit up. And she said, 40 days was not the Hebrew way of saying 40 days, though it's fine if it actually means 40 days. This is how a Hebrew scholar talks. You're like, I'm lost. I don't, know, I don't know what you're talking about. She said 40 days was a way for a great Hebrew storyteller to say a long time. So Noah was on the ark, like it feels like we are, uh, for 40. How long has it been raining around here? 40 days and 40 nights. A long time. How long? The people, Moses is up on the mountain. He's in this cloud. How long was he up there? 40 days. It was a a long time. Dr. Wright said, every time you see the number 40, think a long time. So I'm going to invite you to believe that God can do a breakthrough in your life. I'm going to invite you to open yourself up to that thing 
that you hold right now in your heart, that thing that needs to happen, and that thing that you know can't happen outside of the power of God. You know what that thing is? I'm going to invite you to think that, and believe that God could work a breakthrough right in that place, but it's going to happen uh, in 40 days. What do I mean by 40 days? Um, a long time. I'm going to invite you into a biblical tradition of going through a season before you get there. I know it sounds terrible, but hang on, okay? What I'm saying is not tomorrow, not a quick fix, not a drive-through experience with God. Would you be willing to go up on the mountain for 40 days to meet with God? Would you be willing to go into the wilderness for 40 days? In fact, the church, as far back as we can see, has set aside about 40 days right before Easter for the people of God to prepare their hearts for God to do something. It's it's getting us ready for Easter. The season is called Lent, and we're just getting ready to enter that 40 or so day time. What we're preparing for, the breakthrough that I'm talking to you about, is not just this like self-help breakthrough in your life. I'm talking about the time when they thought Jesus was so dead that he was going to be locked up in a tomb forever, but instead he broke through a wall. (laughs) That's the breakthrough that I need. That's the breakthrough that you need. What Jesus can do only through his resurrection power. But if we all just show up, and I commend you for filling up this room on a really rainy day in March, okay? If we all just show up on Easter... It'll be awesome, I guarantee you. But if you intentionally open yourself up to God for 40 days, I think that you might experience a breakthrough. We're going to do something totally counter to our culture, which says, I need this right now. And we're going to journey together with God um, and with each other. What I'm saying is that I've been hearing this from some of you, so I'm trying to be really clear. If you're saying, I want to go deeper, I want to stop being on the surface then I'm asking you to be willing to go through some hard stuff so that you can experience breakthrough. In the Bible, in the New Testament, which is sort of the second half of the Bible, it's where we learn about Jesus' life and about the early church, it begins with what's called four gospels, four books. The word gospel means good news, and the four gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're going to be studying Mark for the next seven or eight weeks. And what's interesting to me about Mark is we know that it is the first one of the Gospels that was actually written. We think it was actually put down on paper maybe 25, 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, which historically speaking is, is very, very close uh, uh, to, to understanding what actually happened. So wouldn't you be interested, nod your head, in what Mark says is the first thing in his story. So he's one of the first people, the first person we have to write about Jesus, and the first thing he tells us about is that Jesus went into the wilderness. Does anybody want to guess how long Jesus went into the wilderness? Yeah, both those answers are right. 40 days. What was Mark trying to tell us? A long time. Actually, Mark's story begins with Jesus' baptism, which happened at the Jordan River, which was out in the wilderness. People were going out to a guy named John the Baptist, who was Jesus' cousin, to be baptized. John, we know, is this wild character. The description of him we could sort of lose in here, but, but for them, he was this wild, strange kind of character. He wore camel's hair. He had a leather belt. He ate bugs. 
He licked honey. He was just this crazy guy, and everybody was fascinated by him, impressed by him, so much so that it says the whole Judean countryside and all of Jerusalem was going out into the wilderness to be baptized by John. And when the people went out there to to see this John that everybody's talking about, this is what John said. So imagine someone that you are, are longing to see, and when you see him, he says, someone more powerful than me is coming. So they came to see John, but he kept saying, no, 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 I'm here to tell you about someone else that is coming. And so Jesus himself goes out and is baptized like all the other people that went. And when Jesus is baptized, the sky opens up and God says, this is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Jesus has lived uh, incognito for 30 years. People didn't know that he was the son of God. And he has this moment in front of all the people of the Judean countryside and all of Jerusalem where God speaks out of the sky and says, this is my son. This is his moment. And then it says, at once, the Spirit sent him into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. At once, Jesus had his moment. And then at once, the Spirit sent him into the wilderness for his long time. The people who really experience breakthrough spend a long time in the wilderness. I don't know anyone who's experienced breakthrough in their life who is also not well acquainted with the wilderness. Quick warning, if you try to leave the wilderness early, you don't get the breakthrough. You just take the wilderness with you. You have to let the wilderness do its complete work in you if the Spirit sends you there. I know a couple who just experienced breakthrough in their marriage. I mean, beautiful breakthrough, crazy breakthrough, crazy forgiveness, crazy restoration. I'm talking affairs, substance abuse, all this stuff piling up. And now they're making it. They're living into a new reality that's beautiful and full of life. But do you want to guess how long they were in the wilderness? Long time. I know a lady uh, who feels she's just experienced breakthrough with her addiction. A single mom. She's felt so lonely. It's been so hard. She stumbled over the years. But I met her out in the lobby uh, several weeks ago, and she had a chip in her hand, five years sober. And I believe she's going to make it. But want to guess how long the wilderness felt for her? Long time. I talked to the college student recently who experienced abuse as a child. He was doing the hard work of counseling and prayer and forgiveness. He's began to be open again and engage in new relationships with people he can trust. I saw this light in his eyes, his tears rolled down his cheeks. But the wilderness, the wilderness is long. I was going through one of my dry spells lately. Uh, anxiety comes against me and acts like a, an old friend. And then I buddy up to him and I realize it's my old foe. It exhausts me. I isolate myself. I, start, I stop talking to people I should be talking to. I've done it so many times. Some of y'all have been here with me 10 years like, Jacob, we've heard this for 10 years. It's been a long wilderness. When you find yourself in the wilderness, it feels like a long time. But I've learned something in my 38 years. The people of God keep walking through the wilderness. I'm not stopping we're supposed to keep walking in the wilderness, if even in circles. As people of faith, we don't build our house in the wilderness. We put up tents. <laughs> what I mean by that is it is an overnight experience. <laughs> and you pack up the tent the next morning and keep walking. Don't lay a foundation. If you're in the wilderness right now, don't lay your foundation here, okay? 
You may be thinking, I thought you said Mark was a gospel, and that means good news. This sounds uh, not so good. (laughs) Well, the message is good news. The message is you're going to go through this for a long time, but notice that one word. You're going to go through this. This isn't your forever home, but you need a tent and a backpack, and you keep going. Our story, what I'm trying to say is our story is not a quick fix that isn't, a really, that isn't really a fixed story, okay? A lot of times you'll hear in our world of a, of a quick fix and you realize it's not really a fix at all. Well, our story isn't that way. It's a real story of breakthrough that comes by walking through the wilderness. All the people of God experience 40 days or 40 nights in the rain or 40 years out in the wilderness or 40 days up on top of a mountain. But we hang in there because there's something more powerful coming. Would you say that with me? Something more, there is something more powerful coming. There is something more powerful coming. I just did a little preacher trick to you. We just misquoted the Bible. That's not what the Bible says, okay? What the Bible says is there is someone more powerful coming. It's even better. That's what John said. The people coming out to him are like, John, you're so amazing. He says, there's someone more powerful coming. You want some good news? There's someone more powerful coming into your life. Jesus has been through this wilderness for a long time. He's with us in the wilderness. And the wilderness holds a God-given purpose for your life. Why do I say that? Because it's who sent Jesus into the wilderness. Who sent Jesus into the wilderness? The Spirit. The Spirit sent Jesus into the wilderness. And so maybe the Spirit is sending you into these 40 days. So what's the purpose? I'm going to tell you the purpose. Wilderness teaches us about waiting. It's something we don't like. Uh, I've noticed we don't have many good waiting teachers anymore. There used to be better people who, better waiting teachers, people who with their lives of patience and humility taught us how to wait. Not so much anymore. Everybody's in a hurry. It seems like everybody's impatient. But there is so much waiting in life. There's so much waiting in life. So who's going to teach us how to wait? The wilderness will teach us how to wait. We need 40 days in the wilderness to change our pace and change our perspective and show us how to wait. Wilderness also teaches us perseverance. There are going to be moments when you need perseverance, the ability to get through it, to push through it, Jesus broke through the grave, but that was after spending a long time in the wilderness. There's a great verse in Romans that says, we also glory in our sufferings. I'll say that again. We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, if you're like me, I like the end of this verse. I want hope, right? I'll take take better character. Some of us may say, I would like to have perseverance, but but suffering? Suffering produces perseverance. The, the trials, the hard things, the, the wilderness are what teaches perseverance. I see this in, sometimes in the way we want to teach our kids. Like we want our kids to have hope, right? We don't want them to despair. We don't want them to have a negative attitude on life. We want our kids to have character and be people of character. We want our kids to know perseverance, how to work hard and get through something. But suffering? No way. As a parent, I spend so much of my time trying to keep my kids out of suffering. But what I've learned now that I have a 15-year-old is that it's really not possible to keep your kids away from every suffering and wilderness. In fact, what we're being called to do is go through it with them. It's in the suffering that we are taught perseverance. 
In perseverance, we become people of character. And then in character, we begin to gain hope. Wilderness is also all about preparation. Uh, I was a Boy Scout growing up, a Cub Scout, then a Boy Scout. Uh, scouting's a great organization. Some of you know the, the, uh, uh, the way that, that scouting uh, teaches kids. It focuses on being prepared, right? Be prepared over and over again. And the way that a Boy Scout or Girl Scout learns preparation, remember, out in a field with a tent. You got what you need? You will next time. That's how you learn preparation. My dad and I were uh, backpacking with my brother uh, not too long ago. Uh, We take these trips about once a year. We're going to Utah in a few weeks. My brother was a Boy Scout. He's now a scientist and works for the National Parks. He's a great guy to go on backpacking trips with. We were uh, on a trip in the middle of the winter in the mountains. It was in December. And we slept through a bunch of rain. And the next morning as we had hiked, Uh, several miles, we came to what was a stream on the trail map, and instead of it being a stream, it was like this flowing river, 20 yards wide. We had two options. One was to turn back and walk further than we could actually walk uh, and and get out in a day's time, or walk through the river, soaking our our boots and and our socks in this frigid weather with still a couple more nights to sleep. So both options were non-starters, and we just got to the river. My brother takes his backpack off, and he pulls out an extra pair of shoes and a rope. And I look at my dad, I'm like, you got an extra pair of shoes and a rope? He's like, no. <laughs> and so we all took our shoes off, rolled our pants up. We put on the extra pair of shoes one by one, walked across the, the river holding this rope that after my brother had secured it. And then we tie the shoes to the, the rope and pull it back across. We get over to the other side. I'm like, how did you know to have an extra pair of shoes and a rope? And he said, oh, I've been here before. I've been here before. What you're going through right now is preparing you for your breakthrough. You're learning things. You're seeing things. If we're people of uh, perseverance and character and hope, we take a hold of those things and they teach us how to be prepared. And we keep walking. All this stuff I've gone over, those few things, they're really practical Now I want to share with you a few things that are uh, not really practical. And I don't really know uh, how to explain them to you well because they're hard to explain. But we can't skip over them. Uh, What I'm saying is there's some spirit world stuff in this text. And I would want you to believe uh, what, what I believe, we believe, is that there's actually a spirit world at work. It's happening here. It's happening when you walk out of here. It's not always just what you can see. And so I just simply want to bring up some of the things that are in the text that says happen when you're in the wilderness. We'll just allow God to speak to us through uh, the scripture. In the wilderness, you'll be tempted by Satan. If you're in the wilderness right now, you're more vulnerable to temptation. You're more susceptible to break. Why? You're hungry. You're tired. You're out of your element. So when the devil says, you want some bread? You're going to think, bread sounds really good. But the bread the devil has is not good. The devil is going to say, you want to be noticed? You want to be famous? When you're out in the wilderness and you're kind of alone, it will feel really good to be known. But the way the devil wants us to be noticed will actually destroy us. And so you need to know this. If you're in the wilderness right now, if you've been there a long time, you'll be tempted. And the way Jesus teaches us how to stave off temptation in the wilderness is by clinging to God's word. So the devil offers him bread and he says, man cannot live on bread alone. 
but only from every word that comes from the mouth of God. And so we cling to God's word. This 40-day reading plan, again, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about it. We're inviting you to go deeper, right? For you to be intentional, for you to say, I want to I I understand more about what God's word says to me. In the wilderness, you'll also get to hang out with wild animals. I could have left it out, right? I wanted to leave it out. But I just couldn't see how to skip over this interesting thing. It says Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals. What is that? I don't really know. But all through this wilderness story are these sort of wild things. John the Baptist is just this wild dude eating bugs and wearing a leather belt, and he's kind of crazy and strange, and they can't contain him, and they're still being drawn to him. And then Jesus is sent out in the wilderness, and it says there's all these wild animals around. It's just kind of this uh, uncontrollable uh, environment. And what I would say to you is be aware that things that once seemed wild may become your companion. If you want a church or a religion that can hold in the Holy Spirit of God, you got the wrong one. Because God's Spirit can't be contained. Can't be contained by our minds or or our lives. And so there's going to be things that happen as you step into the wilderness and are open to God that you won't necessarily be able to explain. Last summer, the church gave me uh, a big, long break. It was about 40 days off. They thought I looked really tired. And they said, you need to take uh, a long time off. And I said, okay. Uh, And I took 40 days. My family went to this little uh, lake house in the, the mountains of Virginia. Sort of like the wilderness. And my first morning there was a Sunday morning. You see, Sunday mornings, I'm wound tight, right? I'm supposed to be here with you guys. I got up super early, and I went for a jog just as the sun was coming up. And I came around this corner just outside of our our house there on the road. And right in the middle of the road, there was a fox sitting there. He just kind of looked at me. It was almost like he said, good morning. He didn't move. I kind of looked at him. I'd never seen a fox that close. We just sort of stood there and greeted each other. I went back to the house. He was really close. I wanted to get my phone and take a picture of him. I came back. He was gone. The next morning, I got up a little bit later. I'm starting to ease into vacation, you know. I went for a run. I came right around the corner, wondering, and there was the fox. Good morning. I looked at the fox. It was so strange. It it feels really strange right now, telling it. And (laughs) the next morning, I took Rachel with me. It was like mid-morning, but I told her all about it. I told the kids. I couldn't stop talking about the fox. And the third morning with Rachel walking, we walked out, and there was the fox. He started walking with us down the, down the road. We were walking. He's walking with us. We're like, does he have rabies? You know, it's like, what in the world is going on? And I said this to Rachel on that walk while the fox walked with us. I said, I don't really know what's going on, but I feel like, I feel like God's showing up to me in this fox. Like, I just got away from everything, and now every morning this fox is showing up. So I come home, right, and I start seeing foxes all over the place. <laughs> it's so weird. I was out on a jog in Gladeville, and no, this fox, I've got this one on video. The fox just came in front of me and walked down the road in front of me. I'm seeing foxes all over the place. And the other morning, uh, just recently, I park, uh, on Sunday mornings, I park over at Rutland Elementary because uh, I, I just want to leave God open to if he wants to fill this whole place up, right? And so I was coming over. It was still dark. Uh, I was walking over praying, God, do something this morning. And, and I walk up to the building right up here in front of the kids' wing. There was a fox sitting there looking at me. I said, good morning, Jesus. You know, it's like, <laughs> we're friends now. What am I talking about? I have no idea. But I don't want to limit God. 
I want to be open to see him. The Spirit's wild. The Spirit can work in your life. The Spirit can show up to you on your street. The Spirit can be, God can move in your life. I don't know why it says that when Jesus went into the wilderness, he was with wild animals. But I get this crazy picture of Jesus hanging out and the wild animals are there with him. Would you be open to believing in a spirit that could speak to you in your life in a way that you have not yet even thought that God could come into your life? In the wilderness, you will be attended by angels. I don't have a great, Tom, I don't have a great theology of angels and how all that works. But I know that in the wilderness, not only are you more susceptible to temptation, you will be more aware that God is tending to you. That God is sending his angels to make sure that you're okay. Make sure that you know that even though you're in the driest, darkest desert, that God is actually still taking care of you in that. The people of God keep walking through the wilderness. We don't, we don't live there. We never build a house. We put up tents. We could hang out there a long time. You may be saying, my wilderness has been a long time. Yeah, that's what the Bible says. But God is leading us to a breakthrough. So the invitation is for you to join us in a 40-day journey. That will be coming here on a Thursday night or Sunday morning. We have this online uh, devotional. There's actually some printed copies out at the Connect area if you want one. We'll start this together on Wednesday at this service, Ash Wednesday. We'd love for you to come back too. But even if you can't make it to that, we'd love for you to join in. There's a, a reading through Mark um, that, uh, that, you can, that you can see there. If you need a Bible, if you never had a Bible or you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles that are out at the Connect area where you can grab one. We'd love for this to be a, a time where you get in to God's Word. Uh, just last week, I returned from a global conference of United Methodists. It's called General Conference that's sort of the official uh, decision-making body for our denomination. I was elected to represent uh, the Tennessee Methodist Church, so t- uh, tens of thousands of Methodists. And I sought to do that uh, with integrity and in a way that would make Providence Church proud of their pastor. And I hope that I did that. We were there to discuss our denomination's language regarding homosexuality. That was the only purpose. Our denomination has been having uh, lots of conflict and division for years on this. What was affirmed, and I sent a letter out about this. Hope Did you guys get, see the letter online or get it on the email? Uh, we can still get that to you. It has more details about what the actual language is there. You can read that. But our, our, our denomination affirmed our traditional uh, our language, a traditional biblical view of marriage. Like I said, it's a, it's a long thing, but you can read it there. In the letter, what I was wanting to say to you guys is as your pastor, uh, Mark, Pierce, and Regina, we're here for you. And if you want to talk more about that, um, But I also wrote about, this is important for me to share this morning, is that we believe that everyone is of sacred worth. You see, gay people are not uh, an issue. They're people who we love and who we are called to love. We are in community together. We are in a family together. We are in families together. But the general conference was sort of a wilderness for me because it didn't feel like church. I don't know if you saw it on the, on the news, uh, but people were mean and smug and didn't listen well. It didn't feel like church to me. But we are the church. I'm the pastor of this church, and 
I had a dream that we could build a Christian community where everyone would be welcome to worship God. And everyone would be invited to experience breakthrough. And I just say all that to say, um, will you join me, continue to join me, in seeking to model something different from the world, a place where love and kindness are shown to everyone? The founder of the Methodist Church, a guy named John Wesley, said, "Uh, so this is a part of our heritage. And I know we're all kind of still learning that together. But he said, though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike? And that's my dream for our church, that as we try uh, to walk through the wilderness, we'll stumble, we'll ask for forgiveness, but we'll keep walking through the wilderness.